Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Angie Setzer. Angie, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? Oh, doing great. Doing great. Last leg of my vacation trip here, so I'll be headed home tonight, but I'm glad to uh, glad to have been here and looks like you were just getting back from vacation, so uh, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, that time of the year, right? Yep. Last week was nice to get away, especially after that USDA report that came out. Uh, I was just like, I'm just going to take the week. We'll let the market kind of regroup and focus and I'll come back next week. So it worked out well. I'm glad that I, I did. Yeah, that was a crazy report. We've talked about that a few times, but it's been. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> there was one. There was one that came out yesterday. And uh, I guess what's your thoughts and what's your uh, what's your two cents on on what came out yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I think yesterday, if you look at uh, the report that came out, the numbers that came out, and you look at the trade reaction, I mean, that's the the most ideal situation you want to see in a market if you're hoping for higher prices eventually. So what we saw yesterday was what you would consider a negative report. Uh, The USDA came out for corn, specifically soybeans, I didn't think was that bad, but the USDA came out and uh, actually increased old crop carryout and new crop carryout, you know, above expectations. Now, Part of that, the old crop carryout increase, I was a little bit surprised, as was trade. You know, it came in about 140 million bushels higher than what trade was anticipating ahead of the report. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with the fact that they lowered some feed demand and lowered export demand. I was a little bit surprised because quarterly stocks came in below expectations. So typically, if quarterly stocks come in below expectations, that means that carryout projections are probably a touch higher than what they they should be. Um, I was under the opinion that, uh, you know, carryout expectations wouldn't need to be lowered because the last half of the marketing year exports would be slower than anticipated. But so I thought we'd stay about the same. And I wasn't out of line, I don't think, because that's what most of trade was thinking. But that came in higher. So it increased beginning stocks for new crop. And then the USDA ahead of the report yesterday had been very vocal about the fact that they were basically going to embrace the numbers that had been put out in the acreage report. So that shouldn't have come in as a surprise to anyone. Um, but it did because a lot of folks were like, la, 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 I can't hear you. Like you're saying this, but you're going to do something different. So, um, but so yesterday the initial reaction was lower. I saw the numbers and I was like, crap, this is not what we needed. It's worse than what we had ex- expected. And we were expecting a negative number, but trade was like, Hey, this means nothing to us. Like we know that we're going to resurvey acres. Everyone is still married to the idea that we're going to see this significant decrease in acreage. I'm nervous on that idea. Um, I'm, I'm in the camp of like an 89 and a half million just simply because of the fact that I know in our neck of the woods, we got the majority of the crop planted. They'll planted into really poor conditions and planted late. So I would say that we have, and, and so maybe I'm speaking from my backyard, but I think it's pretty similar, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, South Dakota, um, 
where we planted corn, maybe even more than initially anticipated, but a lot of it went in after the 15th of June into less than ideal conditions and could be used for silage or feed or may not even make it to maturity depending on when frost day hits. You know, so I'm of the mindset that the planted acres could be high, but the amount of corn harvested for grain could be a record low percentage. Typically you get about 92% right. um, of, of corn harvested that's planted harvested for grain. So I don't know. At this point, we basically still have more questions than answers. The one thing that we do have um, coming at us that I think is going to trump anything is this heat that's supposed to develop across much of the Corn Belt next week. And so about 30% of the corn crop is expected to be anticipating, excuse me, is expected to be pollinating across the Corn Belt next week, 48% in Iowa. Um, so they're supposed to get 90 to 100 degree temperatures all next week, lows in the 80s. Carl and I, my husband, just had an argument about whether that means anything anymore. And uh, um, I think it does. I don't think you can suddenly introduce hot and dry weather to a crop that's basically been dependent upon a significant amount of moisture once every other day for the last, you know, however long it's been planted, go into a hot, a dry or a, a hot period with dry, somewhat dry across much of the belt, experience the heat dry, have dryness for the next two weeks and say, oh, well, it's not going to hurt yield. Um, I just, so I think that might be more of what we're paying attention to now than anything. And that's not even me talking about soybeans, which I would say was somewhat bullish, though it's hard to say an 800 million bushel carryout is bullish, but we're no longer a billion. Um, and that's with a 48 and a half bushel to the acre yield when almost half the crop went in, you know, typically in a time period that would be double crop. Um, which tends to indicate a, a reduction in yield. So a lot of stories going on, no real answers, I would say. So fun times. I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think you're right. I think when you look at what's happened over the, uh, the course of this planting season, um, the root structure is not there for, for the corn. You know, it, it didn't have to go very deep, didn't have to get – didn't have or anything like that. It hadn't been in the ground long enough to really get any kind of, a yeah. stream, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, uh, I'm kind of with you. I think we're going to plant the acres. It's going to come out and they're going to go crazy over this acreage report thing. But like you said, timelines for frost and, and just overall yield capabilities, a lot of silage, all that kind of stuff is going to be cut for feed this year. So um, uh, yeah, it's going to be, I'm definitely of the mindset, the higher the acreage number, the lower our national yield, honestly. So, that. Um, I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, and we had a conversation yesterday with some industry members here in the state of Michigan. And so it was basically representative of every, every area of the state. There was a conversation, the grain buyers. And, and so, you know, everyone was basically of agreement that, it, we probably are short here in Michigan, 20 to 25% of the acres intended. So we planted 75% of the crop, but of the acreage that was planted, 20 to 30% of that is, it could potentially, I mean, no one's really sure yet um, because the dairies are still waiting. So that's the other problem is that there's guys with corn that are having conversations with dairies, but they, they haven't committed. So, and then we had the prevented plant thing. So you claim prevented plant, you can still plant corn on that ground. You're not supposed to sell it, but 
Um, you know, you can use it for feed and I, there's just, I've never seen this level of uncertainty, you know, and the only thing that I can look at right now is the cash market, which is on fire. Um, but we did lose, we are losing um, an ethanol plant in the state. It's, it's going to shut down, which doesn't surprise me. This plant has been on the verge of shutdown, even in, in good times. Um, so that is one thing that is, is negative. I had a hog feeder tell me yesterday that he was going to replace his corn needs with wheat. I don't think he's really actively checked what the wheat market looks like here in the state. I think he thinks that he can buy it at, you know, like today's price, which isn't indicative of what actually is going on down the road, especially with a short crop year. Elevators are going to want to own wheat. I mean, harvest basis is probably going to be strong overs. So there's just a lot of, of different factors at play. And so I'm glad I like my job because I would be in trouble if I didn't, I guess. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting year. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's, let's bounce over here. So there's been some kind of, you know, back page news on the African swine fever issue in China. Um, a lot of stuff going on there that, that have kind of really getting pushed to the back burner. I feel like when, when I go to look up data about it, um, 50% number has been tossed around quite a bit as far as what the herd actually has been cold down to now. Um, and, and they, it sounds like it's actually gotten worse since, since the, the last time we talked about this. Um, China has been buying pigs everywhere in the world as fast as they can buy them. Not so much from the U S obviously with what we have going on here, they've been buying corn from Brazil at a, at a record pace and, and it's just been taken off like crazy. So those supplies are about to start running out and the U S is going to be the, the only game in town here before too long with really any real supply of soybeans or corn or pigs or whatever it is that they're buying. So I guess what's your, what's your thought on, on that and, and how do you see that affecting the market long-term? Yeah. I mean, I, everyone keeps talking about the fact that you can't, you know, you can't feed dead pigs. So obviously you're going to see a decrease in, in demand when it comes to, to corn and soybeans. And, and yeah, I mean, surprise, China's not being truthful about what's taking place. Um, I think the biggest concern is if we see a continuation of the spread, you know, Vietnam has said that they were very close to a, a vaccine or, or some sort of eradication. You know, I think short term, it's exceptionally negative, obviously. I mean, we're seeing that uh, Chinese imports of soybeans were down um, in the month of May or excuse me, the month of June by like 8% versus a year ago. Um, you know, Brazil has production capacity. The U.S. has production capacity, but obviously the whole trade war thing. But even with that, that you know, they're not importing as much because they don't think they need to feed. However, eventually you're going to figure out a way to rebuild the herd, whether it is um, – you have to incentivize it, right? But right now you don't want these backyard herds. So obviously these backyard herds are, are where the trouble had started. Um, they're where the trouble is probably going to continue. So I think what you see happen in China is, is actually long-term bullish demand. And maybe I am a, I'm crazy. I'm probably the only, I haven't seen anyone really come out and say this. So I'm sure everyone will tell me how crazy I am in that. But I think what you're going to see is a modernization of the, of China's hog production, you know, kind of forced because of this disease issue. Now, does it take five years? It, it could, 
Um, but you know, where you're going to see an increase in biosecurity and a, in a, 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 uh, desire to feed a ration similar to what we're seeing here in the U.S. You know, something that's more safe, no longer these backyard herds. Um, you know, I, I think what you're going to see is a, a significant change in Chinese food production, you know, stemming from this, because right now you're seeing an increase in food inflation. I just read an article the other day about a poultry company is expecting a, a, almost a 1,500% increase in profit versus a year ago because they have chickens, these white boiler chickens, you know, um, and so it is a problem. It is a huge problem. Um, it's going to be a problem and, and I'm not sure how long it takes for it to go away. The biggest concern is if it increases, if it continues to spread and obviously if it, it hits here. Um, there is some conversation that we could see uh, China remove the 50% tariff they have on U.S. pork right now. So that could be beneficial to us. We're really kind of depending on that increase in, in market. Um, you know, so I, I think at this point we go back to the more unknowns than knowns. The one known that we have is that half their hog herd has been wiped out. The one positive when it comes down to it is it's a disease that has hit hogs. Hogs can regenerate population very quickly. Yeah. You know, you're looking at the ability to have the average sow uh, had 11 piglets in the last hogs and pigs report. So you have 11 piglets in a sow. It takes eight months to be able to breed a sow, I believe, maybe a year. Um, it takes like six months to, to feed a pig to be ready to, to come to market. Maybe months. You know what I mean? These are, are rough estimates. But it's not like in cattle. You know, when we had the BSE issue and all of these other things in cattle, it takes you 18 months to be able to get a steer ready. It takes you a year and a half to be able to breed a, a heifer. You know, all of these things. So I, I think the one thing that is, is beneficial is at least it's hitting the hog population. Where like we saw in the U.S. here, we went from, I mean, we increased our available hog supply from December to June at a record pace because we thought we would be exporting to China by now. Um so I don't know, a lot of moving pieces, I think short-term, very negative, uh, you know, more of a bearish influence, but long-term, I think it, it, it creates a, a modernization of the global hog herd that may not be there at this point, And that will increase, um, you know, meal feeding and, and other um, components to a, a ration, in my opinion. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think it's pigs can reproduce themselves pretty quick for, for, uh, for a mammal. They can really... They reproduce like rats. They <laughs> they're they're rabbits. They're the rabbit of the deliciousness world. I don't know. That's right. I've never ate a rabbit, and I I won't. I hope Stu doesn't hear that. My kitchen rabbit. I hope he. <laughs> Not that bad. Pretty good. So. so. All right, Andrew. Okay, good. Yeah. I've heard. I've just never tried. Yeah. Nope. I hear you. All right. Well, Angie, good <laughs> stuff as usual. Um, if people want to reach out to you, pick your brain about some stuff that's going on. What's the best way to do that? You can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain, or you can email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com. Also check out Angie's podcast on the Global Ag Network called Girls Talk Ag. It's a uh, very uh, enlightening conversation with, uh, with a group of women that, that, uh, that know ag. So check that out on the Global Ag Network. So Angie, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you again next week. You too. Have a good one. All right. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. 
please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century.